So I spent the weekend reading two books and I cannot wait to share them with you. Challenging behavior seems to be a topic that everybody has at some point around the IEP table. That's exactly why I picked up two books. One is called Helping Your Family Thrive, A Practical Guide to Parenting with Positive Behavior Support and Resolving Your Child's Challenging Behavior, A Practical Guide to Parenting with Positive Behavior Support. Now, I posted these titles on Instagram and I asked my followers, I said, hey, have you read these books before? And they said, no, no, nobody had read them. Well, I take that back. One person had read one of the books, but overall, these books have not been circulating around our special education community, and I think that they should be. I'm going to share with you today why I think that this is so important. Welcome to the Special Education Inner Circle podcast. I'm your host, Catherine, and if you are watching this any place besides for YouTube, you are watching the replay. I just want to share with you that this is recorded live on YouTube, and I'd love to have you come join the conversation. So just go follow. I'll make sure the link is below where you can follow on YouTube, and you can be part of the discussion while we're recording the Special Education Inner Circle podcast live. Okay, so let's get into the topics of this book. Here's the thing. A lot of times when we hear the concept of challenging behaviors, there's a lot of defensiveness that comes up because there's a lot of labels that are being used that are hurtful, that feel very um, harming to the situation. And I want to encourage you that this is not one of those conversations. This is something that we are going to look outside of the label of a challenging behavior that's happening at school or home. And I want you to be open-minded if you um, have some maybe preconceived notions of ABA therapy or BCBAs, like don't turn this off, okay? I promise you there's a lot of different opinions that happen when it comes to the strategies. And what I love about these books is they position it in a way that is very customizable to a child, that it is a very flexible approach, and that's what we need. In fact, I just want to jump in and, and start with one of the big concepts in both of these books. So they go together because one of the authors is involved in both of the books. Um, both of the books are written by professionals and those who have parenting experience. That is very important, right? So I, I want to uh, just share with you a way that they reworked some of the thoughts. So for example, a lot of times we talk about things as behavior management. And instead, throughout these books, they're talking about behavior support, that we're not managing a child, that we're supporting a child through something. And that is so important. In fact, I'm going to um, share with you, I'm going to open up to page four of Helping Your Family Thrive. And this book, you know, it intros by talking about PBS, which is positive behavior supports. Sometimes it's called PBIS, positive behavior interventions and supports. In fact, many schools have implemented PBS or PBIS throughout their entire community. But this specific book is called Helping Your Family Thrive. And both of these books help bridge the gap between what's happening at school and what's happening at home. Because we all know, especially in this topic of behavior, that we need to make sure that we are coordinating well between home and school so the child feels fully supported in both of those environments. So let me just go ahead. I'm going to flip here to share with you four bullet points. Elements of effective support. 
Core elements of, of effective support include understanding behavior, including the context in which it occurs and the purpose that it's serving. Developing comprehensive support plans that include proactive teaching and management strategies. It also needs to include improving lives, not only by addressing challenges, but also helping families thrive overall. And then it goes into understanding behavior. And this is important that we understand this proactive approach because a lot of times when we're sitting at the IEP table, we're talking about reactive strategies. This is what's already happening, therefore. And we missed a lot of the things that were happening beforehand. Or we used the wait and see strategy, right? So we went from the let's just wait and see. Maybe this behavior is not going to continue to, you know, and I don't even want to say uh, be a problem. Maybe it's not going to continue to uh, be a, a a significant issue for a child not to be able to access their classroom or them not to be able to access um, some of uh, the different environments throughout the school and environment or not be able to access some things in the community. Maybe we'll just wait and see. And that can be one of the most um, discouraging situations to be in because then all of a sudden we go from wait to see to jumping into a bunch of jargon and talking about functional behavior assessments and talking about behavior intervention plans. And again, that's why I love these books because they help bridge the two different um, kind of environments of school and home. And it takes away the jargon and we start talking about supporting a child because that's what we need. We need to stop looking at this in our old school way. I talk about the difference between old school and new school IEPs all the time. So old school, you know, very reactive, very punishment based, very compliant as in you have to do this right now this way. Otherwise, it's wrong. And um, instead, we need to start having some bigger conversations. In fact, I'm looking over here at my notes that I took when I was um, reading through these books and I'm seeing that one of the, the big things that I wrote down here is that these books are focused on the bigger picture of improving lives. And that's how they word it. And I talk about this all the time. I talk about IEPs being written for the real world, not being written. So a child is, you know, uh, completing a worksheet like their peers. Now, sometimes doing things like that, it's going to be important or it's going to be something that we want to work towards. But really, when we're looking at this IEP, we're looking at it preparing a child for further education, employment, independent living and our behavior support plans can be doing that also. We can be looking at the bigger picture of we're not doing this so the child looks and acts like the other kids. We're doing this so we can reach the broader goals. I mean, here in the books, it talks about, you know, reaching the, the broader goals of being able to get out into the community and see more things and do more things. And inside of our school community, being able to access all the different things, whether it's a structured classroom or it's the unstructured playground or it's a large group, you know, activity like, um, you know, going to an assembly. It's about being able to access all of those. So I'm going to go ahead and Let's see, I have a note here that I'm supposed to share with you page eight. So let's go ahead and talk about this for a minute. Let's talk about this really important of why we have to work on behavior support plans with the whole family involved and making sure, especially when we're talking about functional behavior assessments and we're talking about behavior intervention plans that we're taking certain things into consideration. Like why are we doing this? Is it for the broader picture? Is it for the 
bigger goals. When we're talking about challenging behaviors, there's a lot of fear and panic that sets in for the family, right? Parents, like there's like, oh my goodness. And then like, like, how is this going to impact my child long-term? We need to help them. And then of course we have the school that's like, well, this is our strategies and how to get this done. But if we're looking at the bigger picture of why, why is this behavior something that we need to address? It's because, listen to this, for example, it says, if all family members are not communicating openly and effectively, then it is very difficult to solve problems. So we know that, but this is why, this is why we have behavior support plans. It's so a child can be supported at both home and school. So when we have behavior support plans, it helps a child communicate effectively so you can solve problems together. It also says if histories of trauma are affecting family members' reactions to situations, then they cannot be ignored. If the demands on family members' times are overwhelming, then it may feel next to impossible to shift to a more proactive and planful approach. It recognizes the overwhelm. And I want all my teachers who are listening to this, the admins, the therapists to hear the overwhelming stress for a family who is trying to figure out how to support their child so their child is not having the meltdowns, is not shutting down, is not you know, having explosive behaviors. It can be overwhelming. So doing this proactive approach a lot of times feels very, um, I'm going to actually say easy in our schools compared to at home. I can actually share that as a teacher. So, you know, in my first few years of teaching, I I like nailed the whole behavior support plan. I'm going to call it behavior support plan. But we had all these strategies put into place and everything was like going really, really well. We had this like season in my classroom. Everything was really, really well. And I can remember some parents coming to me and their individual parent teacher conferences. And they were like, hey, this is what's happening at home. Are you seeing this at school? Right. We hear those conversations all the time. And I was like, no, no, we don't have that. And they're like, well, this is what's happening. This happens at home. And then my child does this. And I go, no, we don't have that. You know, I think it's because at school we have, and I showed all the different supports that we had and the schedule that we kept and the, the supports, you know, physical supports, verbal supports, all the things that we had into place. And the parent was like, well, I can't, there's no way I can do all that at home. And I was like, well, that, that, that's what works. Like, this is what's happening now. How naive of me. I was not a parent at the time, okay? I am a parent now. And oh man, if I could go back and like whisper into my ear, right? And talk to my younger stuff and say, there's no way parents can do this. <laughs> like it's impossible to replicate a lot of the things that we can put in school. It's impossible to do that at home. So we have to figure out what is possible between home and school when we're putting together these behavior support plans. So here, let's let's look at this next sentence here. Um, for this reason, it may be important to ensure that the timing and initiating and engaging in the family-focused approach as described, the things that they're talking about in this book, for everyone to be involved, it's important that we have the timing right. Meaning like we cannot put together all of this behavior support plan and just say, here we go. Sometimes we have to ease into it. We have to look at the reality of what is possible at both home and school. So I'm just going to share that the rest of this Helping Your Family Thrive book talks about setting the bigger picture and the broader goals, including a family vision statement. 
And I want to encourage parents. If you're like, okay, my child has a, a functional behavior assessment coming up, or they have a behavior intervention plan. And if that, especially if that feels scary for you, I want you to consider getting helping your family thrive. So you can start seeing the big goals that you can actually bring to the team and say, listen, I know that we need this plan. I know that it helps my child. I want to make sure that we're setting up this plan for success, not just in the classroom, but also outside of the classroom. So that, that's what helping your family thrive will do. Now let's talk about this one. It's resolving your challenge, your child's challenging behaviors. And this is where we get a little bit more into the nitty gritty of collecting data and really talking about what are challenging behaviors. Like why do we always talk about behaviors in a negative way, right? We all use behaviors to negotiate what we want in life. I actually took that from out of that book. Okay. I loved that sentence. Yes, we all use behaviors to negotiate what we want in life. So what truly is a challenging behavior? So I made some notes for you on this one too. It's um, considerations of behaviors that need to be addressed. Okay. So what type of impact are the behaviors having? So for example, if a behavior is delaying the learning or development from a child. In other words, they can't access their classroom. That's going to be a challenging behavior, right? That we, we need to do something to support the child. If it's causing a disruption of family or community life, if it's causing alienation of children and families and just community members, if it's damaging relationships, these are all things that are very important. You know, it's not just black and white of, oh, that behavior is different. Therefore, we need to change it. No, challenging in this context means that it's actually stopping a child from accessing environments. It's, it's causing strain on relationships. It's making sure that we're looking at behaviors in a way that approaches the whole child. And the environments that they are in versus just saying all children need to do this. And that's really important. So if you are a, a parent who you're like, yeah, I think we need to dive deeper into how are we going to address which behaviors need to be supported more? How do we take the data? How do we track it? And you want to read other stories on how this plan has been successful, that's where resolving your child's challenging behavior comes in. And it's important for you to know that it, it takes the jargon out of this. So in fact, they're calling a functional behavior assessment, gathering and analyzing data, which is what it is. We come up with these terms in special ed, right? FBAs, functional behavior assessment, which is really just gathering and analyzing data, which is what we need to do so we can make smart decisions, right? So. I'm going to encourage you to pick up this book if you want to bridge that gap between home and school and you want to talk about data and you want to talk about how to collect it. You want to talk about what to do with it. So the first book, Helping Your Family Thrive, this is really talking about how to set the big goals with your family. You can include the school, how to make sure that you are supporting in a whole child way. The second book is making sure that you know the strategies to collect all the data and truly start to speak the same language when it comes uh, to that conversation between home and school. You know, I have seen some really terrible situations in special education when it comes to behavior, but I have also seen some really beautiful support plans that have truly helped a child turn into 
oh, just who they're supposed to be, right? That they felt safe, that they had the skills, they had the communication. And I just want to encourage you that if you are feeling like this year is tough, you're going through a tough season, either at home or, you know, teachers at school and behaviors are part of this. And it just feels like you can't even get kind of ahead of things so you can start being proactive, that you're caught in this downward spiral. I've got the links for you here for these two books. I've got a discount code for you. Go pick them up and hit reset and start looking at that bigger picture and start changing the conversation from managing a child's behavior to supporting a child's behavior to including the whole family and realizing that plans have to be different at home and school, but they can be similar. They can be supportive of each other. Making sure that we are working on these big goals, that we're not just looking at the school day or these even these school years, that we're looking at this big goal of helping a child truly be able to be who they are. I want to encourage you that if you loved this episode and you're like, yes, I need to hit this reset, I need those resources, could you please go ahead and leave a comment, leave a like. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review. Every time you like, comment, share, leave a five-star review, it helps more parents and teachers find the resources that they, that they need, something different, something that, you know, like I said in the very beginning here, I, I'm talking about these books on Instagram, and everybody's like, I've never heard of them before. we got to get resources like this out. we got to start the conversation conversations. We got to change the conversations. And that's what we do when we share the knowledge. So I appreciate every like, comment, share, five-star review. It truly does help spread this information out to more parents and more families. Of course, you'll also find below the links for you to get a free IEP checklist and you can learn how to become a master IEP coach. I'll see you guys next time on the Special Education Inner Circle Podcast.